I'm Megan Rupp, VP of Beauty at Power Digital Marketing. And what I love about beauty is its intrinsic ability to add value to our daily lives in a way that's truly personal to you. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Beauty is Your Business. I'm Jessica Quick, co-founder of Buzz Beauty, and I am joined by my co-host and business partner, Denise. So today's discussion is a rich one around PR and marketing, and really, what is it that these brands that are winning today, what is it that they're doing? And when Denise and I sat back and started to look at case studies PR and digital marketing kept coming to the forefront. And so we jumped on the opportunity to invite Megan Rupp from Power Digital. Hey, Megan. Hi, so glad to be chatting with you today. We are so excited to have this discussion. And what I love is that you have a rich experience in not only publicity and PR, but within the beauty space. And so you've seen really great brands take off and great brands not take off. And today's conversation about what is making brands win, I think is going to be very valuable. When I look at your background, and I see the fact that you started an editorial, I mean, you really have two passions, it looks like writing and beauty. So editorial intern for American Salon Magazine, and then moved on to Orbe, where you were PR in-house and also online content creator. And then from there, of course, moving into more editorial work, big companies like NBC Universal and ABC, and then really focusing clearly on the beauty industry and love that you're here to share that experience that you've taken after all of these years, and specifically from the PR side because PR has changed. And so lately, of course, the last few years, you've been at Covet PR, which is now part of Power Digital. So mirroring up both PR and digital marketing, which we know are key things for what is helping brands win. What we'd love to understand a little bit more about is in today's new world of PR, when a brand walks in the door and they're ready to start PR, what are some of the first questions that you're asking a brand, that you're expecting a brand to know and to be able to answer in that first discovery discussion about, are they ready for PR? (laughs) That's such a great question. I actually think that it boils down to the simplest of questions that kind of brings to light a more complex set of answers that really, I think, will drive the strategy. I think first and foremost, I ask them as a brand, what is their goal? Because oftentimes the goal that they present is actually a tactic. So to say, we want to increase our PR, that's a tactic to get to an end goal, or we want to increase our consumer base, also a tactic to get to an end goal. End goals of both of those are obviously to either grow brand awareness or grow the business, but that's not actually the goal. So I think first and foremost, I ask, What is your goal? And then I'll tell you if PR is the right way to go. In a lot of cases, PR maybe isn't, or maybe it is, but a new, I call it like the 2.0 version of PR, what today's PR is. And really that is looking at it from a holistic point of view. And I think five years ago, holistic meant influencer, maybe like your social media platform representation, 
branding and PR, today, holistic really means what is your ad strategy? What does your full marketing funnel look like? And where does PR kind of play into that as a part of the larger brand message? Because you have to think about the full consumer journey to really understand how you're presenting your brand in such a crowded space. I think one of the reasons I like my background, having been editorial and house agency, and even on the news side of things is really kind of seeing how brands communicate their identity from every touch point and really thinking about every kind of consumer set. So I think ultimately, tell me what your goal is and I'll tell you what piece of the marketing funnel, PR being just one of you know, 20 different routes you can take, whether or not that's the right route for you. Megan, I like this idea of starting with a goal. That's usually one of the questions that we ask as well. But let's face it, much of the time when you ask that question, what is your goal? Brands say, I want to make more money. I want to grow my sales. So where do you pivot or what questions do you ask after that, if that is their goal? Absolutely. I think it's really understanding where do they want to grow their sales? Do they want to grow it on their direct-to-consumer website? Do they want to grow it on a certain retailer? And that retailer can truly drive the conversation. Do they want to grow it on a social media platform? And obviously, it's so easy for a brand to say, we want to grow it everywhere. Anywhere we can you know, make money and drive sales, that's where. But that's not really a strategic answer, right? It's kind of like saying my brand works for every single consumer out there. That's not the true answer. So really understanding, you know, did you just enter into Sephora? Did you just enter into Target or Ulta? Those are different consumers. Even, I mean, obviously Target and Sephora are different, but even between Sephora and Ulta, like those are two different people typically speaking, and they have different, they're looking for different things. One shops at Nordstrom's, one shops at Target, like those are different people in and of themselves. So I think understanding where you want to grow right now, a lot of my clients are saying they want to grow on TikTok. That gives me a really good idea of who your consumer is. They're probably a little bit younger. There's like huge data right now that the Gen Z consumer specifically is using TikTok and Instagram for search instead of Google. Like Google can't even compete anymore. They're trying to create a more youth-friendly platform in which people can search. But instead of using Google, people now use TikTok, which is wild. So if you tell me you want to grow on TikTok, your sales there, then I know, okay, you have a younger consumer. We need to approach this completely differently. So everybody's going to say at the end of the day, they want to grow their business. Sales, sales, sales. But where? And I can kind of drive strategy from there. So I want to dive into this TikTok thing because I do think that is something Denise and I get all the time too when we speak with brands is I'm looking to grow. I'm not on TikTok. Should I go to TikTok? So in that vein, obviously the brand has to know who their customer is. So walk us through when a brand says, I want to be on TikTok. How do you step them through whether that's the right channel and what they need to do to be successful in that area? My answer is eight out of 10 times if they say I want to be on TikTok. I will tell them, yes, the answer is absolutely yes, you need to be on TikTok. I currently work with a brand, we do their PR and some of their paid advertising, who was the number two paid advertising brand on TikTok at the time. At the time, they had very little data to aggregate as it relates to attribution and things like that. So we have definitely grown with them and the outlet continues to sort of evolve with the level of insight it's able to provide. Definitely think they're coming too, but for this specific brand, TikTok has become the number one paid channel for them above Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and YouTube. 
which is huge for this brand. They're a 25-year-old brand within the Gen Z, young millennial, natural beauty category. And I think the first thing I ask is, do you have content and the right kind of content? I work with another brand who desperately wants to be on the platform, but the content would not perform. So it's not worth the investment. It's very much like too branded. TikTok is very like, let's be natural. It's doing away with the Instagram, Facebook nature of two, three years ago. That's sort of to this point antiquated, where it's no longer super, super branded, super product heavy, very much like paid and, and inorganic. You don't trust it. It just seems like an ad. Consumers nowadays are increasingly more savvy and they're looking for themes that feel like this person uses it, whether they're an influencer or not, sometimes doesn't matter depending on the brand. Don't have to be a well-known person, but if you seem like a person who genuinely uses this product and wasn't paid by the brand to create this content, it drives interest. And so I think that is, it's an incredibly successful place. So first I look at, do you have content that speaks to that consumer? Is it really genuinely organic? Does it also speak to your brand and make sure it's sending home like the key messaging points? Because I think second question, what is your unique value proposition? What makes you truly different? What is your elevator pitch? And I will tell you that I speak to anywhere from like 15 to 30 brands each week. And each week, I probably hear two or three unique value propositions out of all of those. So the general mass founder cannot tell me something unique about their brand that differentiates them from the brand I spoke to an hour prior. That is, I think, an inherent problem. So until you know who your brand is, don't go communicating it to the world would be my number one recommendation. So first, you have the content. Do you know who you are? Do you know your key messages and value proposition? And is TikTok the right platform for you? It probably is, regardless of price point or demographic. There is an older consumer on there now, so that's not an issue. But I think like, if we have the other things in order, the answer is probably let's go. Let's pull the trigger on TikTok. But let's face it, what is the cost? That's what we always get. Yes, I want to do it. Yes, I have the content. Yes, I have the idea. But how much is it going to cost me? What do you advise customers to spend as a starting point? Well, the more you spend, the more you make, right? (laughs) That's the truth of the matter wherever you go. So But I will say with that brand that I mentioned where we started there, we started very, very low. We didn't invest more than $2,000 a month. That only lasted for two months because it was performing. It quickly became $15,000 a month, grew to $50,000 a month. We're now at $150 because we're looking at like a 3X. So I will say the more you spend, the more you make. I wouldn't recommend going in there less than like... 10 to 15k it's just it's not necessarily worth the investment not that you'll lose money maybe you'll break even but if you're going to invest make it worth the investment i have like a brand that wants to go in at 5k a month and that's just not really worth it because you're not really targeting anyone at that point and it's just so little spend you're not going to see the return but it's the same as any other platform the more you spend the more you make And on that spend, is that specifically only paid ads or is that also influencers and how obviously TikTok influencers are in our world, just the largest piece right now. So how do they play a part in this budget or how do they play a part in the overall strategy? So I do think that very much depends on the brand. If you are a 25-year-old brand that's never paid influencers before and you very much kind of have planted your flag and never having to pay for content and genuinely having organic fans, stick to that ethos. I think it really helps 
contribute to the DNA that you've established. And you really want to be able to continue to say that we've never paid an influencer. That's a big thing to be able to say in today's age and still have that level of following. So I don't recommend paying until you have to. That said, for other brands, it might be inherently necessary, part of the mix. And I will say that Spark ads on TikTok have been very, very successful, especially where it makes sense. I've worked with a brand that wanted to work with some of the biggest TikTokers, but their brand just did not make sense with that. And it's the same thing with Instagram, right? Like if you were trying to fit this square peg into a round hole, you're not going to get the return that you're looking for, regardless of the reach that person has. If it just doesn't make sense for their audience, it's not going to garner anything. So I think make sure that the influencer that you're working with genuinely makes sense as someone who, again, would read organic because TikTok is very much about making sure that it seems like an authentic connection. Let's take a look and turning away from TikTok for a minute and start turning into traditional press and traditional PR, because that's still very much a thing. So when we look at traditional PR, what are some of the things right now that you're advising brands to do in order to look attractive to that traditional PR? That is an incredibly great question. And I think it actually kind of ties into TikTok. And I know that might sound weird, but here's the reason I'm saying that. The blurred lines between paid and earned have sort of become increasingly muddied even prior to COVID, but especially in COVID. As an example, affiliate marketing was something I kind of had a general knowledge of as a publicist. I've been working in PR for about a little over 10 years. And affiliate was something I knew the word. And I think I had a general understanding of the strategy prior to COVID. But once COVID hit and big publishing houses were starting to close down major outlets or maybe stop print editions of various outlets or really, really downsize their staff amidst COVID because they needed to make money in the same way that every other company needed to make money. Affiliate marketing became such a more significant piece of the PR puzzle that I had to in turn learn that as sort of a new tactic within my tool belt. And it was very new to me at that time, but that's just one example of how these in COVID and even in the years leading up to COVID, I think was sort of the hint that this transition was coming. And then in COVID, it suddenly became like, we can no longer escape this. We must face it. There's no longer a church and state. Where does paid and earned kind of end? And I think they're so, so interwoven at this point that when I say you have to have that 360 strategy, when I talked about that holistic point of view, it was really about how can we... I think like generally speaking, any publicist would hate me for saying attach ROI, but you have to be able to attach this sort of like, what is the, I don't want to say ROI because publicists would hate me, but like, what do you get out of PR? How do you make PR not just be a flash in the pan, but genuinely see some level of return? And while we might not be able to see like last click value or like actual purchase rates from a PR hit, you never will. There are ways that you can take your PR and really elevate it so that it becomes a much more strategic piece of your marketing funnel. So for PR, at at its base, what we do at Power Digital is look at it from a holistic standpoint where we kind of think about three different pillars. We think about how are you communicating this on, we call it organic social, but how are you communicating this on your own owned platforms, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, whatever we're talking about, TikTok, and then LinkedIn for some other brands, depending on the kind of brand that it is. How are you communicating that on your organic social channels? 
Two, how are we thinking about this from a traditional earned media, aka PR standpoint? Three, how are we thinking about how this converts on the consumer side? And that might include partnerships, that might include influencer, which of course are obviously more paid strategies within that, same with affiliate, but ultimately it needs to be like a three-pronged approach. So if we take a traditional strategy of an event, for example, we have a social media campaign, we have the PR strategy that's going to support it, and then we have the consumer activation piece. From that, we work to garner earned coverage, what you've seen before, L.com hit, you see your like Vogue hit, your women's health hit. And then I think seven years ago, we were like, oh, this is great. We've got these hits and we put those in our brag book. Maybe we print them out and put them in a like on a wall somewhere. And that was sort of that, right? Or maybe you add it to your website and you say like as seen on. And that was the extent of it. Then it, we kind of took it a next step maybe five years ago. We're going to add it onto our social media and kind of brag about it, right? And that's like sort of where it ended. But at the end of the day, that's a flash in the pan. So what we look to do now is think about it as content. We think about press as content. So how can we leverage that as content and not just have things that we share on social or things that we like drop onto a LinkedIn or maybe think an editor or print and put in some office somewhere? But really, how can we use that as our ads How can that be used in our email and SMS? It really genuinely, at the end of the day, PR is brand awareness for efficacy's sake, for third-party validation's sake, and how are we leveraging that in paid channels to really take it the next level so you start to actually see a return that you can measure. And what I hear you're saying too, Megan, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like if you leverage PR correctly, it really is another piece of content creation. So just like when you started the conversation saying, do you have the content to be on these platforms in what you just said? It sounds like PR is absolutely another piece, whether it's your awards, your seen in, maybe it's an editor talking about it or a blogger, something in order to take that and repurpose it as content. So PR is another content creator for a brand potentially. Absolutely. And depending on the type of news you're working to generate. So If it is an investment and you're looking to kind of grow within that investor space and kind of get on other VCs radar, you share that on LinkedIn. Like, here's the piece that we got on Fast Company. We just received, you know, upwards of however million dollars in investment from XYZ firm. You share that on LinkedIn. That's content for you, providing that third party efficacy. Now other VCs are looking at you like, or even angel investors, they're looking at the brand. They're like, wait, why wasn't this on my radar? Why didn't we know about this one, guys? If you're talking about like more of a consumer side, you can really use that on like IG, Facebook, TikTok, things like that, just to kind of get on people's radar. It could be more of like a first, you know, if you're trying to reach a broader audience, it could just be like general acquisition. If you have your loyalist group of returning customers, you can kind of use that on email, SMS just to drive further, like repurchase. I think it really depends on what is your strategy and what are you focusing on with that news. For us, one of my brands really focuses on being sort of a social conversation generator. So we're always working on viral campaigns. So this is the trend you're seeing take over TikTok. We create a campaign on TikTok. We then get the PR coverage and then we promote that on Instagram so that it seems like they're the trendsetters. So there's like trend forecasting, there's consumer acquisition, there's investor awareness. There's a lot of different tactics that you can take depending on what the brand's ultimate goal is. 
I do want to circle back, though, to the affiliate program. And Jessica's laughing right now, I'm sure, because I'm all about the affiliate program right now. And some of the information around it, confusion around all the different platforms that exist, who should do affiliate programs and so forth. So I won't bombard you with all of those questions at one time, but I would like to talk about affiliates and what you're seeing with the affiliate programs and how you're advising your brands to tackle that. So the interesting thing about affiliates, and I will say I have very much a high level awareness of this. I have an expert director who I lean on for a lot of really insightful, in-depth pieces. But I will say this, if my brand is looking for some of that more, what seems as though it's sponsored content on an outlet, from my experience, the three different kinds of affiliate that our brands are primarily interested in utilizing are ambassador programs, those social media affiliate kind of programs. And then second, more of that like coupon site affiliate. And then three is the editorial affiliate in which you're sort of reading an advertorial, but it doesn't disclose advertorial at the top the way that, you know, you're used to, you know, circa 10 years ago in a magazine at the top that says like sponsored by advertorial and it and then you just feel like you're reading an ad. Rather than that, a lot of what I'm doing on my side to secure 10 years ago, I could just sheerly based on my relationship, have a great new product, pitch it to an outlet, work with an editor that I've worked with forever and just utilize my relationship to create sort of a review piece. Like I tried XYZ product for five years and I tried it so you don't have to. Here are my results. Like that was it. I just needed to have a relationship. Now I can still leverage my relationship, but she has to then talk to her commerce team and her commerce team will say like, Yes, you can write that story if they can give us a specialized affiliate link that generates, I would say like 15% is usually the minimum that they're looking for, but I have had requests up to 40%. I usually am landing around the 25, 40% range. If for every like purchase, we get 25% commission, then you can write this piece sort of thing. So That's why I say it's very much a blurred line because back in the day, there was like the very clear advertorial and the very clear earned. This is earned. It's a genuine review. It's a real editor, a beauty editor working on writing the piece, but there's a link in it that does have a commission portion to it. So it's very much paid in that sense. So that's where it's sort of like this blurred line between church and state that didn't exist like five years ago, or maybe it existed, but it wasn't as prominent as it is now. But I will say for like holiday, for instance, there's a lot of brands will always want, especially I can't tell you how many times I get like, we want Oprah for holiday. Can we get Oprah's gift guide for holiday? (laughs) Like every year I have like at least five clients say that. And because holiday is, I think, the one time you actually can see ROI, right? You get coverage with a code in it. You get a link. It's like, go to this website and type in Labor Day 30. Like, they can track that. So it's more trackable. So holiday is always the time, whether it's Father's Day, Mother's Day, actual holiday season, any giftables, there's a lot of actual ROI for PR. And I think that 2020 holiday, like the actual like depths of COVID, We began to see, that's when we saw the extreme shift to affiliate. Suddenly, in order to be included in these holiday gift guides, you needed an affiliate program. So we no longer just pitch, hey, here's the holiday gift my client has. This is, you know, their 
XYZ collection and this is the holiday give back. Like that's not enough. It used to be enough to like add some sort of CSR component. That's not even enough at this point in order to really, really drive impact. We have to have an affiliate. So we tell them straight up at around this time, actually we had calls this week with our clients saying, what is our holiday gift? What is the pricing? Where are the assets? Because we need those assets, information, price point, and landing page, launch date timing, as well as what is your affiliate programming for holiday. It needs to be in the pitch to media because this is typically going to commerce writers who are primarily focused on that. So affiliate is imperative. I'm laughing in the background because honestly, July, I think I have like slight anxiety this month because this is the holiday month. This is in the marketing and sales world for beauty. We know July hits, you better have your holiday program put together and ready to go. And so to hear you say this, because it's so valuable, the holiday piece of this, right? And having everything ready in July to do this, that hasn't changed. But what I find fascinating, and you've done such a great job of laying out is how integrated all of these pieces now are between PR, digital marketing, commercialization, and so on. And I look at an agency like Power Digital, which obviously very focused on digital marketing, and then they have the PR component because of how integrated this is. Can you step us through, because I think this is very, very intelligent. How do you work? If I was a brand coming to Power Digital wanting, let's say I started wanting PR, then I'm having a conversation with you and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need all these things. How do they work with you? How are you set up in order to support them in the best possible way? I think it's very personalized to the brand itself and the life stage they're at. So that if they have not yet launched, we first identify any particular needs that they might have. So earlier this year, I worked with an SPF brand that launched a couple months after our partnership kicked off. And I think hindsight being what it is, how do we realize that they didn't have any assets yet? And by assets, I mean product B-roll, product imagery, white, like a PNG for editorial coverage, as well as lifestyle for their organic social channels. We started with PR. So this brand only kicked off with PR and we were not yet in a place to start PR. They didn't have their brand identity. They didn't have their boilerplate, which we obviously helped develop the boilerplate, but they didn't even necessarily know their elevator pitch, key differentiator, didn't have like a general kind of like about the brand. We really, really started at the branding level, which is fine if the brand has that ultimate goal in mind, but this brand wanted press immediately, but we didn't actually have anything to get press at that time. So I think it really depends, you know, if I'm starting a conversation with a brand that's 10 years at market and they're successful and they're in like five different retailers at that point, then we really need to identify like, what are your goals? And I think a lot of times it's, we want to increase sales at XYZ retailer. That's typically one of the top things we figure out. Then we kind of see like, what does the relationship look like with that retailer? Is it symbiotic? Do they also likewise support your, your goals? Can we work with them? What can we leverage there? And our strategy would be a little bit different. So I think first and foremost, new to market brand, do we have your kit in order, your kit of like biography about the brand, brand DNA, key differentiators, unique value proposition, B-roll and photography, both lifestyle and ready for press, making sure that press kit is in order. If it's an established brand, they probably already have all of that. I will say like sometimes we work with brands that had the same PR agency for like 20 years and none of that has been optimized 
a lot of those things we work to really optimize, like a bio should be SEO optimized and about a product fact sheet should be SEO optimized. A lot of brands don't necessarily have that at the ready. So I think when it's a more established brand, we like to take an in-depth look at what it is that they do have and make sure that those ladder to their goals in order to decide if we're just looking at growing direct sales on website, maybe we just go the email SMS route. If we're looking to grow something at Sephora, maybe we go more of a PR route. It really depends on where they are at that point. And we have to take a look at what you have in your toolkit first and foremost before deciding the appropriate strategy, which I do think is a little bit different from my time at previous PR agencies that I've worked at where it's just sort of like, okay, you want PR, let's kick off PR. That might not actually be what we really do at Power Digital that makes us a little bit different is focus on what you actually need, not what you're asking us to do. Megan, it's been so great buzzing about digital marketing with you today, and we've enjoyed having you on the show. We look forward to having you back. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you both so much. We'd like to wish everybody a good day, and if you'd like to keep buzzing with us, you can come to buzzbeauty.com. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.